Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. And I share that this series is based on the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before ascending into heaven. And those words can be found in Matthew 28. They're commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And they say this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, as we did this morning, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the operative word in those verses, and for our series, is that word, go. And what that word, go, really means is that everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is expected to be involved in missions every time they go anywhere. You and I are called to live our lives on mission. And so today we're going to continue our series, and I want to introduce our guest speaker. And I'm not sure uh, if Eric remembers this, but it was probably about 10 or 12 years ago. We were a couple years into church planting, and church planting is a very tough business for anybody who's ever planted a church. And, and, and Eric had been planting a church downtown India that season in his life, and, 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 and they were really gaining momentum, and, and we were kind of struggling, and and so you always look, you know, you always look for, for those, um, you know, who might be able to speak into your life. So we got together at a Starbucks, and I just remember saying, Eric, wow, I mean, almost like, what am I doing wrong here? What do I need to do better? And I just remember him saying, just keep going, Dennis. Keep at it. And sometimes that's all the advice you can give. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep at it. And here we are some 10 or 12 years later in a whole different season of our life. But I'm so thankful for God having Eric there in my life at a time where I was wondering, is this, is this going to pay off? To have that person that just says, keep your hand to the plow and keep going. So Eric's going to share um, just how God's used him in many different uh, platforms. Um, he's been a worship leader. He's been a church planter. He now works in the marketplace. He leads a ministry called The Stone Table that really goes around mobilizing people in the marketplace, people who, um, who want to bring God into the places where they spend at least 40 hours a week. And one of the things I appreciate most about Eric is just his generous heart to give away what, what God has, has given him. And, uh, and he's just always uh, had that generosity towards us. The last time Eric spoke here was a couple weeks before the 2020 contentious election. And so I told him at the time, I promise I will bring you back with a much easier message to preach. And so what you're going to hear from Eric today is really the sweet spot of where God has his heart. And so open up your hearts and your minds and give Eric a big hand as he comes forward. Thank you. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, Dennis preached half my message already, so we'll get out a little earlier today. Um, 
Oh, it's awesome. Uh, such an honor to be here. I just want to say before we get started, one of the most encouraging things to me is to walk in this morning and see these cards out on the table uh, with prayer cards for unreached people groups. Um, nothing could be dearer to the heart of God and nothing could be dearer ultimately to the work that we do at the Stone Table than the global glory of Jesus and all the earth. And uh, to see this this morning when I walked in was was deeply, deeply moving. Um, a church that is behind this is right in lockstep with the heart of God. I can promise you that, right? You know, uh, so uh, just in, incredible. I'm already encouraged this morning. So, uh, so thank you. So again, uh, my name is Eric Cooper. I'm the president of an organization called The Stone Table. We say we are a missions organization rooted in the marketplace. Uh, and I am really excited to be back here today to talk about uh, this As You Go series. Um, Dennis already mentioned the last time he had me here uh, was to talk about politics. And I can't believe a friend would do that to another friend. Um, so I'm thrilled to be back talking about something much, much uh, more dear to me uh, than that. So, you know, we're, we're in this new series called As You Go. And so today we're going to be talking about wherever you are. As you go. Wherever you are, we want to be believers that embody and proclaim the kingdom of God as God's people as we go and wherever we are. So today, this wherever we are conversation is going to swerve into wherever most of us are for 50 percent of our waking hours during the week. And that is our jobs, our marketplace jobs. So if we're going to live missionally as the people of God in the marketplace, we have to address some bad theology that most of us carry around about marketplace work, right? So how can we live on mission in the marketplace if we don't know and can't articulate what uh, marketplace work, what the role of marketplace work is in God's kingdom work in the world? So I was here nearly four years ago now and spoke on the same topic. So if you were here back then, some of this might be repetition to you, uh, but I think repetition is good. Um, especially in this arena, because I don't think many of us have ever been forced to, to critically think through and articulate what our marketplace, workplace theology is. So Dennis uh, already uh, mentioned that I work in the marketplace. So just to give you a little, I guess, street cred, I have a marketplace job. I don't just do this. I don't just go around and, and speak. So we are marketplace people. We have marketplace jobs. We run a marketplace business. Our, our core marketplace work is called CRF Affordable Housing. We have a nonprofit affordable housing company uh, that owns, manages, and constructs apartments and assisted living facilities. Uh, we've done that around the state of Indiana. Um, and we were created really to give half of our profits away. That's why the business was started 30 years ago, was to create ongoing revenue for the global mission of God in the world. So uh, as we go, we trust the Lord to help us embody and proclaim the gospel through the marketplace. That's what we do. And so that's a really exciting thing for me to talk about. And if you're curious at all, I think there's a QR code up here. Uh, not selling anything. There's no bait and switch. We're not signing up for Amway. None of that, right? But there are some free resources if you hit that uh, newsletter. We've got a podcast on this subject. Uh, we've got a book. We've got an ongoing um, newsletter that we send out. Some things that encourage marketplace believers in this space. So. Um, so this is one of the things I get the joy of doing, is, is I get to, to encourage marketplace believers. Because we are marketplace believers, we get to encourage marketplace believers in this arena of faith and work 
and the role of the marketplace in God's mission in the world. So if we as Christians are going to be the first fruits of Christ's coming kingdom, wherever we go, if we're going to preach the gospel to all nations, then we need to reframe how we see the marketplace or the business world in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel. So before we do that, we've done a lot of praying today, right? But I want to pray that the Lord opens our spirits. Can you pray with me? Lord, uh, I thank you that we, when we make much of Jesus, Lord, beautiful things happen. And so that's what we want today, Lord. If nothing else, God, may these words uh, point us to Jesus today. May people leave seeing you. So take the blinders off of our eyes and may the glory of Jesus be revealed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Um, Throughout my life, I have wrestled with uh, a psychological disorder. Maybe you have this as well. Uh, it is called brumotactilophobia. It is uh, 19 letters long. We almost had to stretch the screen out just to, to fit it on there. Uh, but maybe you have this as well. Brumotactilophobia is the fear of your food touching on your plate. Anybody else have this? There is nothing worse than the juice from your green beans seeping into your mashed potatoes. Come on. And, and really, this is the one. I, who makes you put cold salad on the same plate as your hot food? Who does that? Not civilized people, I can tell you that much. It's disgusting. So that's why I always love these lunch trays. Do you remember these? These lunch trays? Yeah, elementary school, middle school, right? You had the big rectangle for your frozen chicken nuggets, your tater tots, small squares for your mashed potatoes, a little square with the in, uh, circle indentation where your milk carton went. I never could figure that out, why the circle was where your milk carton went. But, uh, you know, I kept uh, all that gravy quarantined and socially distanced from the other food. Now, I'm a big believer that this is how all food should be served in civilized, modern civilizations today. There should be no fraternizing between food groups. But while these trays are a wonderful way to serve a hot meal, in my opinion, maybe you're one of those people that likes to stir it all up together. Uh, we'll pray for you after service, right? I think these are a great way to serve a hot meal, but they're a horrible way. They're a horrible way for us to think about our Christian lives. And yet, many of us instinctively do. We, we mentally split our lives up into sacred and secular partitions. We call this the sacred-secular divide. And did you know this is actually a form of ancient Gnosticism that the church has been fighting against for 2,000 years? Uh, the Gnostics believed that spirit was good, but matter was evil. And it, this was a threat to early Christianity. But we do the same thing in this space today. We partition our lives. We might say it's something like this. Now, I'm an accountant. I'm an accountant. That's my, my secular job. But I, I volunteer in kids' ministry here at the church. That's really my, my sacred, that's my ministry. That's my sacred calling. Or, you know, I'm a coffee shop barista. That's what I do. That's my secular work. But I sing on the worship team. I sing on the worship team. That's where my ministry happens. Or I, I'm a construction contractor. This is my secular job. But I lead a small group at the church, so that's really where I, I have my ministry life. 
See, there's this unspoken partitioning in Western Christianity that the work we do in the church is sacred, and the work we do in the marketplace is secular. And while I would say that there is something unique and special about the ecclesiastical work of full-time ministry, this sacred-secular thinking is really just bad theology. It's bad theology, and it's an abbreviation of the full redemptive narrative of the gospel. And it's one of the reasons that I believe so many Christians with marketplace jobs struggle to live missionally as they go through their everyday work. Because outside of the money we make, maybe and can give to what we define as uh, sacred work, most marketplace Christians see no missional connection between the actual work of their day jobs and their faith. So we spend half of our waking hours at work trying to figure out what this wherever we go has to do with our lives as followers of Jesus. But if we're going to be as we go Christians, see, I believe we have to break down these partitions between the sacred and secular in our lives. I love this quote by the great Oswald Chambers from my utmost uh, for his highest. He said, the spiritual manifests itself in a life that knows no division into sacred and secular. But see, I, I believe if we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to embrace our calling to be the first fruits of Christ's coming kingdom in this world, and I believe if we are going to see the great commission fulfilled in this generation, we must tear down this pagan, sacred, secular divide and all embrace our missional kingdom calling as the people of God. Those in ecclesiastical pastoral ministry, missionaries on the mission field, and every marketplace believer working in every sphere of this life. And this means that we have to embrace the fullness, the power, the all-encompassing beauty of the gospel. The good work theology starts with reminding ourselves of the whole gospel message. So let's look at that message in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. I love this verse. It says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The gospel redeems all things, including the very work of our hands. So your work, whether you are a fourth grade teacher, whether you are the pastor of a church, if you are a financial planner, if you're a farmer, if you work in corporate sales, if you're a missionary to an unreached people group, if you're a property manager, an entrepreneur, a, in, you're in full-time ministry, you're in full-time marketplace, reconciled to Christ, your work is sacred and missional. Your work can be resurrected, reimagined, and embraced as part of God's kingdom mission in this world, and we need all of you to see it this way. The gospel redeems and resurrects it all. Jesus owns it all. So in our remaining time today, I want to share just a, a few biblical perspectives about marketplace work that I pray will help you reimagine when, when the alarm clock goes off at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning and we head off to the office, many of us, right? I want you to see this through the lens of the gospel. So that as you go into your everyday work life, you can embrace that wherever you are, your everyday work, as part of God's kingdom work in the world. All right, so we're going to walk through a couple of...
biblical theology of work marketplace thing here today. And the first one, and this is this is really vital, guys. This is vital. This was revolutionary to me, but it's foundational, right? And that is this. In the beginning, there was work. In the beginning, at the genesis of the universe, of earth, of mankind, there was work. Work was God's idea. This was revolutionary for me. I, I never really contemplated the origin story of everyday work. In fact, I just uh, assumed it. It was an assumed theology. But if you think back to your old, maybe Sunday school flannel graph, what did Adam and Eve do all day? What did they do? I had this mental picture, I think, that, you know, Adam and Eve just kicked back in the garden, kind of scrolled through their Facebook feed, watched uh, some, some Netflix, you know, posted funny videos of the newly named animals on Instagram. I, I don't know, right? But, but my idea of the Garden of Eden was a permanent vacation. You just laid around all day. I mean, look at, the, look at these people. They just laid around all day. But work, work was part of God's original design for mankind and his creation. And this is not some conspiracy that your boss put me up to here today. All right, let's look at Scripture. Let's look at Scripture. This blew my mind. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, and then verse 15 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. But this is the kicker, right here, verse 15. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to do some simple math here. Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 2. The whole tree and the fruit and the fall of man and the serpent, right? That doesn't happen until Genesis 3. So what does that mean? That means work is not some post-fall punishment for our sin. It's actually part of God's original design for mankind. Now, the, the brokenness with which we often experience our work, that's a result of sin, but not, not the work itself. We were not created to sit on clouds and play harps all day. Right? How many of you remember when cartoons were only on Saturday mornings? You remember that? Yeah, there was this great uh, cartoon series called the Looney Tunes. You remember that? I call this Looney Tunes theology. You know, Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, Wiley E. Coyote. Now, occasionally, one of the characters, maybe Elmer Fudd, meet his early demise through a wabbit-hunting accident. And he would float up to heaven, like this, right? Laying on a cloud, a halo over his head, maybe playing a harp. I just want to tell you, this is really bad eschatology, okay? This is really bad understanding theology of heaven. This, this is really bad. But we, we picked this up from Saturday morning cartoons, or at least I did, right? So you combine that with my Sunday school flannel graph understanding of, of human origins, and this imagery really confused me. You know, if Adam and Eve laid around in a garden all day before sin came into the world, and heaven is really just about laying on clouds and playing harps, then what in the world is this 40 years of hard labor that we're sentenced to in between? This work thing has to be some kind of mistake, right? Some kind of punishment from God. But that's not what Scripture says. See, we weren't created 
to lay around on clouds and play hardball. You were created to dream and build and serve and cultivate and problem solve and to make culture and to add value to the world around us through the marketplace, through marketplace work. And is the work broke? Is work broken by sin? Yes. Thorns and thistles are part of the curse. But is work punishment for our sin? No. You're like, no, you don't know my job, right? Like, you know. No, we were made, Scripture tells us, we were made to work in God's creation. This is the human vocation. It's part of our, of the human design. So in the beginning, there was work. Work was God's idea. And this is foundation, foundational to your theological understanding of business and the marketplace. If we're going to be, as we go Christian, we have to understand that the marketplace worked with God's idea. Number two, if you want to live missionally wherever you are, this is the gospel imagination you need for your everyday work. Our everyday work is a partnership with God. We're in a joint venture with the creator of the universe. Pretty cool if you think about it that way. Let's look at another verse in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said to mankind, Subdue and have dominion. So have you ever wondered why God didn't just create houses and streets and cities and cultures and businesses. I mean, surely God could do road construction better than any of our own Indiana Department of Transportation. <laughs> Why did he just make the raw materials? Why didn't he just do it all himself? Certainly he would have been much better at it than us, right? Because it's our job. See, part of our creation mandate as image bearers of God is to partner with Him in the care and cultivation of His world. We are vice regents. A vice regent is a person who acts in place of another authority. We are actually made to create with God's creation. We bring together raw materials. We form and reform and we develop and grow. We partner with God as His image bearers and vice regents as makers of culture and caretakers of humanity. And this is true from the simplest of jobs to the most complex. Our work is meant to be part of God's ongoing work in the world. I love the way Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Revolution, articulated this. I'm still going to use this quote, even though Luther in high school knocked my son's football team out of the second final. I'm not going to blame Martin Luther for that, right? Martin Luther said this, I love this. He said, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkman. He said, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkman. God. God is milking the cows. So we could say that about our everyday work as well, right? God is educating children through the vocation of the teacher. God is housing people through the vocation of the apartment owner and manager. God is healing people through the vocation of the the pharmacist. God is raising children through the vocation of the stay-at-home parent. God is clothing people and feeding people and providing for people through all kinds of everyday marketplace work. So how would it change your feeling? 
about business in the marketplace in your everyday life if you look at it that way. Right? So we see that in the beginning there was work, and work, if we reimagine through the gospel that work is actually a partnership, a joint venture with God each and every day. It gives us some new perspective. But let's keep going. Two more points here. Number three, when we work, we can fulfill the great commandment. We can fulfill the great commandment through our everyday marketplace work. So, going a little deeper with you here, okay? One of the dangers of humanity is that we make idols. Are you aware of this? I'm not talking about little golden statues that we put like out in our backyard that would probably be against our homeowners association covenants or something, right? I, I'm talking about objects of worship. I'm talking about objects of worship, things that capture our heart more than God does. Have you ever been, I, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but have you ever been shocked when you read through the book of Exodus at just the, the blatant stupidity of the people of God, the Israelites in the book of Exodus? You know, they, they are in Egyptian slavery for 400 years, and then all of a sudden God comes along, and there's these miraculous plagues that lead to their release from Egyptian slavery. They're, they're fleeing from Pharaoh, and they come up against the Red Sea, and they don't know what they're going to do, so what happens? The Red Sea just parts in two, and the Bible says that they walk through on dry ground. Pretty miraculous. They get to the other side. They're wandering through the wilderness. They don't know where to go, so this pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night appears, and it leads them through the wilderness. Wherever they go, or wherever it goes, they, they go, right? Their breakfast, lunch, and dinner miraculously appear on the ground outside their tent each morning. I mean, I like to think of it that way, right? Yet as soon, as soon as Moses heads up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what do they do? I mean, it's like, it's like just a few verses later. They, they take off all of their gold jewelry, they melt it down, they turn it into a golden calf, and they fall down, and they worship it. How stupid are these people? I mean, the very presence of Yahweh himself was miraculously in their midst, yet they turned away and worshipped the work of their own hands. Pretty stupid, right? And then the Lord whispers in my ear, I'll give you a better idea. <laughs> because see, an idol is anything we place our trust in. Anything we find our identity in outside of God Himself. Did you know the root of sin is actually not bad behavior? We always associate sin with bad behavior. Now, it may ultimately manifest that way, but the root of sin is always idolatry. It's always wrong worship. It's always elevating something above God. And if I'm honest, I can attest to this battle in my own life each and every day. And our work, our work can easily become one of these idols. We place our trust in our paycheck. We find our identity in the social status of our work. We, we define ourselves by what we do, maybe how early we get to the office or how fast we can clean out our inboxes or how many overtime hours we're willing to put in or how our particular line of work makes us feel in comparison to others. And see, the gospel changes all of that. Changes all of that. See, when Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, It is finished. You know, the Greek word there is tekelestai. Tekelestai. It, 
Some, some theologians actually believe it's a, it was a business term. It was a business term uh, that meant paid in full. Maybe it was even stamped on ancient receipts to mark them fully paid. That was what Jesus said when he died on the cross. And I actually have, this is a picture of a picture that hangs over my desk in my office because I never want to forget that Jesus' finished work is the starting point for all of my work. You don't have to work to make yourself right with God. You don't have to work to earn a name for yourself. You don't have to work to create meaning for yourself. You can work from the place of it is finished. And that changes everything. Because when, when I find my identity where it belongs in Jesus Christ alone, then my everyday work can finally become what it was designed to be. This is a daily opportunity to fulfill the Great Commandment. What is the Great Commandment? Let's look at it real quick. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. A group of Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to trip him up with this question. They said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that all of the law and the prophets hang on those two things, right? But see, when, when work is my idol, when my career is my identity, then it defines my worth, my value, my acceptance, my status, my pride, maybe even my shame. But see, when the gospel redeems my everyday marketplace work, then my identity, my worth, and my status are grounded eternally in Jesus Christ. And so my work, no matter what it is, no matter how wonderful or menial I may find it, it becomes what God intended it to be, which is a daily opportunity to fulfill the great commandment, to worship God and to love my neighbor as myself. We get the opportunity every day in the marketplace, in big and small ways, to worship God and love people in our workplace. See, we don't just honor God and love our neighbor through acts of charity. We all understand how that works, right? But as redeemed and resurrected followers of Jesus, I firmly believe we can honor God and love our neighbor through acts of commerce as well. See, everyday marketplace works as you go wherever you are. So in the beginning there was work. Our everyday work is a partnership, a joint venture with God. When we work, we fulfill the great commandment. And I, I added this in today. I want to talk a little bit about this, and I'm, I'm glad I did, especially after I walked in and saw these cards today. And, and I want to talk about work in the Great Commission here for just a moment. Work in the Great Commission. Your pastor read it right before I came up to speak here this morning. Because here's what I don't want to do. As the church reawakens to this kind of sacred marketplace work, uh, you know, the sacredness of marketplace work within God's kingdom, we marketplace Christians cannot forget that that sacred kingdom work includes a universal call to go and make disciples of all nations. We can't carry the warm fuzzies of renewed gospel purpose for our everyday work and ignore the fact that that renewed purpose includes the Great Commission. So what is the Great Commission? What is the Great Commission? There's a, a Barna stat that really disturbed me from a few years ago. 
says that over half of church-going Christians have never heard of the Great Commission and couldn't identify it from a lineup of scriptures. Now, I, I already know that this church is fully aware of what the Great Commission is, but let, let's read that. The Great Commission, Jesus' last instructions to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, said, therefore, go, go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me go on a little deeper here for a second. I like going deeper. But the word nations here, the word nations, is actually the Greek word ethno or ethnos, which doesn't translate as, as our brains might translate. It doesn't mean nation state, okay? It actually means people group. People group. And Jesus said to go and make disciples of all of them. And yet the Joshua Project, as we already saw here on these cards, tells us that there are as many as 7,400 people groups that are considered unreached with the gospel today. And unreached typically is defined as less than 2% Christian, which would be the, the sociological marker that allows uh, Christianity to, to perpetuate its own movement of others towards Christ. So 7,400 people groups, what does that even mean? Well, I'll tell you, it means 3.2 billion people. It means 42% of the global population. And for many of these people groups, we're, we're not just talking about a general disinterest in Christianity or only having a small number of churches or Christians around them. We're actually talking about no access to the gospel at all. So if you're born into this 42%, there's actually a good chance you will live and die without ever as much meeting a Christian let alone hearing the life-giving message of the gospel. And by my definition, this is hands down the greatest injustice in the world today. So Jesus told every believer to move out and make followers of every ethnos, of every people group. And I would say to you, even as a marketplace believer, if you belong to Jesus, the Great Commission belongs to you. Not just the church pastors, not just the professional missionaries, not to just some subset of heroic super-Christians, but it belongs to you and to me and to every follower of Jesus Christ, including marketplace believers. Because inherent to the gospel is the proclamation of the gospel. So this is what excites me. This is what I want to talk to you about just briefly here today. I, we're, you know, I said we're a missions organization rooted in the marketplace, and so we are passionate about what we call BAM, or Business as Mission. Now, if you ask 20 people to define BAM, you'll likely get 20 different answers. But I, so I, I want to clearly define what we mean when we say business as mission at the stone table. We mean business as mission is the intentional integration of business and ministry to create a sustainable, missional presence of the kingdom of God in a particular community. And this has lived itself out in some really cool ways in everyday life. All across the globe, all kinds of marketplace work is being embraced as a great commission opportunity to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I mean, we've got missionary entrepreneurs that are starting sustainable farms and travel and tourism companies and CrossFit gyms and coffee shops and restaurants. We've got gig economy workers like graphic designers and, and book editors that are moving their base of location to strategic missions outposts. 
We've got what we call take-a-job missionaries. Take-a-job missionaries that are partnering with local church planting teams, but they're taking jobs and embedding in global corporations that move them into unreached parts of the world. we got business owners that are franchising their models to missionary teams that can take the gospel into places that traditional missionaries cannot go. And we've got missionary investors and donors that are underwriting the risky startup costs of these strategic BAM projects with grant and investment dollars. They carry a multiple bottom line understanding that BAM businesses are ultimately focused on Great Commission returns. But get this, because, because the marketplace was God's idea, because everyday work is a partnership with God, a joint venture with God, because our wherever we are day jobs are, are the natural mechanism that we can fulfill the great commandment every day to worship God and love our neighbor. But by definition, this, this means the marketplace is also the perfect platform to engage the great commission. What if all of, all of believers, what if every believer reimagined the marketplace, the business model, their everyday job? one story that I just hope gives you some perspective and encouragement wherever you might get up and go to do some other things. I have a friend named Dan. I've known, I've known him for over 30 years. For most of that time, Darren worked in full-time ministry. He worked at a Christian school. He was on staff at a, as a children's pastor at two large mega churches. When Darren and I ran into each other a few years back, he told me that he had voluntarily left the ministry. He wasn't angry. There was no scandal. But at what someone considered the peak of his full-time vocational ministry career, Darren just felt led to step away. So he, he picked up a few part-time jobs in the interim. He drove for Uber. He made deliveries as a courier. But then he ended up loading and unloading airplanes at a large shipping company here in Indianapolis. And admittedly, he thought it was temporary. Uh, that he was just taking a short-term break from church work. He was even polishing up his resume for, you know, what pastoral job might be coming next. During that time, Darren had a, a, a vivid dream. He saw himself on stage in, in a large stadium full of tens of thousands of people. And he said, I was wearing a suit. I was wearing a suit and tie. And, uh, you know, I had my, my preaching notes. I was, I was obviously going to be the preacher that day. I had them all highlighted and collated. He was going to preach this message to tens of thousands of people in this large stadium. He said, right as I stepped up to the podium, all the lights in the stadium went, went out, went black. And he said, I, I started yelling as loud as I could, you know, for everybody to just hold tight until the power could be restored. When the lights came back up, everyone was gone. The whole place was empty. Everyone, that is, except for 12 lonely people looking around at all the empty seats, wondering where everyone else had gone. He thought it was weird to preach, uh, you know, from such a large stage to just 12 people in a large stadium. So he asked them to all come down and sit on the floor in a circle, right down in front of the platform, and then he went and sat down with them. Then he woke up. Darren actually said he forgot about the dream. He got into his marketplace job and. He learned that he kind of loved spending time with his rough-and-tumble co-workers. His job was a lot less prestigious than his faith-based circles. His friends, his ministry friends, didn't really understand, but Darren was energized. His, his co-workers 
actually learned that he used to be a pastor, so they started calling him Preacher Man. Until one night, one of his colleagues saw T.D. Jakes on TV, and so he upgraded Darren's title to the fish. <laughs> Darren wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't a hardcore workplace preacher. He didn't have his bullhorn out every day, but he did start looking for just little ways to reach out to the community and those he worked with. He told me a story. And one time he was, he was coming back um, from a tow truck. tow truck driver picked him up. And I got to talk to this gruff and tumble, you know, gruff tow truck driver. The guy opened up to him about his kids and the frustration he was having with his kids and his family. Darren ultimately asked him to pray for him. The guy, he said, the guy hugged me. When, when I walked away, he hugged me. I didn't know what to do. This big gruff and tumble, you know, tow truck driver, right? He was loading a plane one day with, with, uh, with a lady that worked with him. And he noticed that she had some tattoos on her arm. And he started asking her about what they meant. And her story of the, of the tattoos ultimately opened up a spiritual conversation that allowed him to share the love of Jesus with her. Darren's co-workers, they, they, they just began to sense the presence of Christ in his life as he went to work every day. Then one day they were, they were sitting around in a break room, the, at the break room table. Darren suddenly recalled his dream. He recalled his dream of the blackout that turned the stadium of thousands of people into a small circle of just a dozen, and he shared it with his co-workers around the table. And one guy started looking around and started counting heads. He said in amazement, he said, Hey, Bishop, I think your dream is that And sure enough, there were 12 of them sitting at that table together that day in a marketplace room where most people would not find such people. Even after all those months of working the marketplace, Darren had never put it all together. What he thought was a temporary job while he looked for a new ministry position actually became his ministry position. What if we all approach wherever we are with these opportunities? I'll close with this. Did you know as followers of Jesus, you know there's really only one vocation? Vocation, the word vocation, we think, you know, what's my career? What do I do for a living? But vocation actually comes from the Latin word vocare, vocare, which is Latin for calling. Latin for calling. There's only one vocation for all believers. It takes on many forms, accountants and engineers and pastors and financial advisors and property managers and farmers and missionaries and construction workers. You can fill in any of those jobs here. But there is one mission one calling, one job description for all believers in the church, on the mission field, or in the marketplace, and that is this, to worship God, to love your neighbor, to make disciples of all nations. Not one aspect of the true Christian vocation has changed in 2,000 years. As you go, wherever you are, what are you doing today? Here. Everybody here in this room today that has questions, 
What does my everyday work have to do with God's work? I pray, God, that you would ignite a new fire of passion. Lord, that they could see their job as your idea, as a partnership with you, Lord, as a, a daily opportunity to worship you and love their neighbor as themselves through the work of their hands, to add value to the people in the world around them. And then, Lord, don't let them forget that great commission call that every believer is called to every nation, tribe, and tongue in the world of God and all God. May we all be mobilized for that mission, for your glory and your purpose. I pray. Encourage us all. We're going to move into our response time, which is really, I I think, the highlight uh, of all of our services. And this is just a time where we choose to respond to what God has spoken to us through this message, through the time of worship. So the worship team is going to sing this last song, and as they do that, I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team up. As Eric was speaking, I was kind of asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in our lives? What's, What's our way to respond? And there were a couple things that I think God wants to deal with in our lives this morning, in addition to just any need that you might have in your life. And the first one is this, is that I think there might be some people here this morning who you look at the example that you've been and some of the things that you've done in your job and you feel like maybe you've ruined your reputation. That any effort to try to be missional in your workplace would be hypocritical based on things that you've said and done in the past. And I think God wants to break that condemnation and say it's a new day for you. That through your humility and your loving of your neighbor, you can change people's opinion about you. And so if you look at your work and you say, I haven't been the example I need to be, so I can't open my mouth. I think today God wants to free you from that. You can come forward and receive prayer for that. Second, if you're here and you say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Eric, but I just don't know if I have the courage to do that. I believe that today that God wants to impart courage into your heart. And, and even Eric, Eric, if you wouldn't mind actually joining our prayer team, could you do that? If you're here today and, and you just say, hey, I need courage to, to do what you're calling us to do, then, then Eric can pray for you and impart that courage. And then the last one is, if you've looked at your job and never seen it in the way that Eric has mentioned and, and taught today, and you just need to redefine and rededicate your workplace, you need to say, God, I want to take my workplace, this thing that maybe I've complained about and I've belittled. And today I want to dedicate it as my mission field. Then I encourage you to come up and receive prayer for that. And any other need that you might have physically, emotionally, or relationally, take this time. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray before the worship team leads us. So God, as we move into this time, as we lower the lights in the room and, and just have this intimate time of response with you, stir Holy Spirit within our hearts those things that you want to break us free from that are related to this message or completely independent of this message. Stir those things. Speak to us clearly, Holy Spirit. And then give us that that courage, the same courage that caused Peter to step out of the boat. May we have that same courage to step out of our seat and come forward and just say, God, work in my life in whatever area you're in. Let's sing together the words of this last song and come forward for prayer as the Holy Spirit leads you.